dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's December, and we're celebrating this festive month with Christmas stories. Today, I've chosen an episode of Escape entitled, A Study in Wax. Escape was an anthology series that ran on CBS from July 7, 1947 to September 25, 1954. The show was designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure, with stories focused on life or death situations, many of them adapted from classic literature. A Study in Wax, however, was an original radio play written and directed by Anthony Ellis. Native Englishman, Ellis moved to the United States to become an actor. His earliest roles were on radio in such shows as the Lux Radio Theater, Arch Obler's Plays, and The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. Somewhere along the way, Ellis turned his attention to writing. In 1949, Ellis began contributing scripts to a detective series called Pursuit, featuring the fictitious adventures of Inspector Peter Black of Scotland Yard. Although Ellis continued to pursue acting, he quickly gained a reputation as a writer. Ellis wrote many notable scripts for Escape, including the highly underrated I Saw Myself Running and The Cave, a much more Christmassy Christmas episode than the one you will hear today. Escape producer Norm MacDonald soon tapped Ellis to direct as well. In 1953, Ellis adapted Othello for a two-part suspense broadcast featuring Elliot Lewis, Richard Widmark, and Kathy Lewis. Ellis took over as director and producer for Suspense in 1954 and continued in that role until 1956 when William N. Robeson took the reins. After the death of dramatic radio, Ellis made the transition to television, writing for such series as Zorro, Gunsmoke, The Man from Uncle, and The Detective starring Robert Taylor. Sadly, Anthony Ellis died of cancer in 1967 at the age of 47. Today's story, A Study in Wax, was aired twice on Escape, once in 1953 and again in 1955. Both versions starred William Conrad as Jack and Stacey Harris as Larry. And now let's listen to A Study in Wax from Escape, originally broadcast February 1st, 1953. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape. Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are trapped in a snowbound cabin in northern Canada. The temperature is slowly dropping. While across the table from you, his eyes staring at you is your only companion, a madman, waiting for his chance to 
kill you. Listen now as Escape brings you Anthony Ellis's terrifying story, A Study in Wax. It was late October when the radio shack burned down. We never did decide whose fault it was. Maybe Cabell with his cigarettes, or maybe me. Anyway, I guess the whole thing began when we lost the phone transmitter and receiver. Cabell and I had been sent up to the Northwest Territory by the Canadian Geodetic Survey people. It was a long job, and the biggest part of it was the loneliness. I remember what Cabell said as we watched the government supply boat steaming off. It's going to be a long winter. Yeah. Hope they don't run into any trouble on the way back. That ice is closing in fast. Yeah. Well, so long, Jones. See you next spring. It's getting cold. Yeah, it feels like snow. Probably get some tonight. Yeah. Well, we might as well get the rest of the stuff unpacked, huh? All right. It's kind of lonely with them gone, you know? Yeah. I guess it's the quiet. You better get used to it. Oh, I will. It's funny, though. After spending most of your life in cities, I... Oh, I suppose you feel this kind of thing more. There's an awful lot of nothing out there. You need a drink. Come on. It wasn't that Cabell was moody or anything like that. I think he wasn't used to being out of touch with people and things he was accustomed to in the cities. I was the opposite. I kind of liked the loneliness. As a matter of fact, now that I think about it, we were a pretty strange couple to hit it off the way we did. And when you got seven months to spend alone with another man, you got to be sure of each other. And we thought we were. Until after the radio was gone. That day it burned, we stood in the snow watching the embers glowing and wisps of smoke rising into the cold sky. Well, it's gone. Well, we still got the code sender, just in case. Yeah, I don't know, but I'm going to miss the programs and the music. Now, I tell you, we could send a message to the base, if you like. Ask him to fly out another Oh, no, no, no. You, you know old McLeod. He'd, he'd boil. Waste of money, <laughs> probably take it out of our pay. No, we, we'll do without it. That's all right with me. You're a hearty soul. I, I don't think you'd mind if you had to stay here alone for seven months, you know? <laughs> Be dull. I wouldn't have anybody to beat a chess. ha <laughs> Well, I think we'd better use the theodolites tomorrow. Get to work on that western section over the range. Uh-huh. Triangulation, huh? Oh, uh, Jack. Yeah, what? If it was my cigarette that burned down the shack, I'm sorry. Forget it. I may have done it myself. Forget it. By the end of November, we'd done pretty well as far as work was concerned. But Cabell was getting jittery. We had a week stretch where we couldn't move out of the camp. It was around 30 below outside and blowing 60 miles an hour. Cabell had read most of the things we'd brought along and was sitting at the table trying to beat a solitaire game. I was oiling my gun. Ah. Odds are against you every time. All I know it. Oh, I wish this weather would ease off. It will. Hey, I got an idea. What do you say we we open our Christmas presents tonight? Our Christmas? Yeah. It's November. I, I know, I know, but 
I'll bet there'll be some books. I, I told my folks to pack some books. Yeah, well, what'll you do when you're finished? I don't know, but I've got to do something. I just wish we had the radio. Look, we can send a message. If McLeod wants to cut our heads off for burning up his property, he'll have to come here to do it. If not, maybe he'll be feeling good and send it to us. Well, it's worth a try. Do you, do you mind? It's not you, Jack. We, we talk and play chess and it's swell, but... I miss the outside. I feel like... I know. Give me a pencil. Sure, I'll get it. Here you go. Thanks. Yeah, how does this sound? Radio Shack burned to ground. Can you send new receiver? Mm-hmm. Have only small set on fixed channel. Uh, Jack, couldn't you say emergency? <laughs> oh, that'd go over big with McLeod. We miss Canadian and U.S. mystery shows must continue to hear them in order to keep up our work. <laughs> uh-uh. Leave it as it is. <laughs> uh, switch on the generator, will you? Sure. It's kind of stuffy in here, isn't it? I was thinking it was cold. <laughs> Old woman. Well, here we go. McLeod's going to love this. from McLeod came back the following day. It was long, involved, and said what could have been said in one word. No. Our chief was a very careful man and believed in others following his example. Therefore, if our radio was gone, it was our fault, and the next time we should be more careful. And that was that. The weather let up a bit, and we got some work done. It was still terribly cold, but it didn't bother us now that the wind was gone. I noticed that Cabell was much quieter after our request for the radio had been turned down. I began to get a feeling as though he blamed me for it. So, a week before Christmas, we uh, we had just finished supper, and I said, uh, uh, Larry, uh, about those Christmas presents... Uh, what about them? Uh, what do you say we open them, huh? Well, I thought you didn't want to until Christmas. Well, I changed my mind. No? What's the matter? You're trying to be nice to me? I can take this as well as you can, you know. I don't need you feeling sorry for oh, me. Oh, I'm not sorry. I don't give a good stink one way or the other. I'm just saying if you want to open the packages now, it's all right with me. They're yours. It's not my business. Now, forget it. Do what you want. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Will... Will you open yours? Sure. Okay. <laughs> he got a hammer and started to pry open the case. Our families and friends had done their shopping in August, and we'd put their gifts together in the case. And at the sight of those colorful wrappings, Cabell began to smile. Oh, mother of mine. He was back in touch again. They were little things, but a label, a scratch of handwriting, the feel of something different was... Blotting out his loneliness. Hey, we did great. The great far coldness outside. Come on over. Come on. See what you got. Okay. It doesn't feel like books. They wouldn't pack them like this, would they? No, they might. This is for my sister. You met her, Jack. Nancy, the one in Winnipeg? Oh, Nancy. Oh, yeah, sure. Hey, look. What? Look at that. Look what we got. It's a phonograph. A phonograph. Yeah, there must <laughs> be some records in here. Jack, wind it up, will you? 
Oh, yeah. This is great. There's a big stack up here. There must be... Oh, all the lousy, crummy luck. What? What's the matter? They're broken. Oh, that's a shame. Broken. All of them? Well, there's... Wait a minute. There's two of them. It's okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> Great, listen to this, will you? What? Bugle calls of His Majesty's Army. What? I mean it. Look. It belonged to my father. I, I remember him playing it when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, what's the other one? Let's see. Oh, it's the Age of Gold, Shostakovich. It's one of my favorites. No, Benny Goodman or anything like that. Huh? No. That's right. I forgot you. You don't much like this long hair music, do you? Oh, not much, but... Uh... It's okay. Come on, let's take a listen to that bugle call thing. That ought to be something. Here, I think I got to wind up and up. Where will I tell Nancy about that fancy packing job I heard? The following bugle sounds are the authorized calls to be used in His Majesty's service. The charge. <laughs> the charge. Oh, oh, this brings back memories. The alarm. You know, we could have used this one when the shack burned down. <laughs> Officers call. No. On this one, everybody comes. And, and, and what's the next one? Yeah, but... We got a lot of laughs out of that old record. Played it a couple of times and had a couple of drinks. And I tell you, that phonograph, even with only two records, it made a lot of difference to us. The... Strain seemed to be gone. And then Cabell put on his Shostakovich and got lost in it. To me, it uh, wasn't much. It was all cluttered up with a lot of noise that hurt your ears. Uh, he must have played it a half a dozen times while we unwrapped the rest of the things. There uh, were a lot of books and magazines, and that was real good. I figured we could stretch him out for at least three months, which would take us into March. But by the next day, the weather turned bad. A blizzard came down. We stayed inside until the day after Christmas. And Cabell, he was like a kid. He smoked cigars, drank brandy, listened to his record, and read. In ten days, he'd read every single thing. And then he had nothing to do but listen to his record. Oh, you're not going to play it again. Sure, you mind? Well, I wouldn't mind not listening to it for a while. Why don't you try the bugle calls? They're quieter anyway. Learn to appreciate good music, Jack. You're missing something. Well, maybe I will. But not from that. It's beautiful. Well, not to me it isn't. Why don't you let it go for a while, huh? All right. All right. I feel that way about it. How about a game? Uh, no, not right now, thanks. I, I want to finish reading this article. What are you reading? Oh, yeah, I read that. That's not much. You know, that guy never could write. Oh? I think it's pretty good. Depends on what you're used to reading, I guess. What kind of a crack is that? Nothing. Nothing. It just depends on what you're used to reading, that's all. Does that make me a lowbrow? Oh, you said it. I didn't. You better check the oil outside. I did it yesterday. It's your turn. Uh Uh-uh. I did it this morning. In this weather, we do it twice a day. You remember? Oh, yes, sir. 
You trying to be funny? No. No, I just didn't like the way you said it. We're both in charge here, you know. Not not you or me. Nobody gives orders here. We share the responsibility. Okay, okay. Then do your share. All right, all right. I'm going out to check the oil, and not because you say to do it, you know, but because I want to. Well, good for you. When I think of it now, we sounded like a couple of kids. And I can't even remember what it was that set us off. But I'll never forget what happened because of that day. Yeah don't easily forget a thing like death. We will return to escape in just a moment. But first... Cabell and I didn't talk to each other for the next few days. Uh, uh, not the way we used to, I mean. Just conversation that was necessary to do our work. And that was it. He didn't play his record, either. New Year's Eve day, we got a couple of messages through and code from our families. And I guess we both felt pretty bad. Cabell was trimming the oil stove when I decided to... Try and make things up. Uh, say, Larry. Yeah? L- look about that business the other night. I, uh... <laughs> I- I'm sorry. Oh, it's my fault. Really, it's kind of silly, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's probably just as well that we had the bust up then. There's still three months to go before that ship comes back. Yeah, I know. And uh, uh, thanks for not playing that record. It's okay. Oh, I wish that we didn't stop. It gets on my nerves. You know something? I got something that's good for that. What? <laughs> what do you got there? Something to toast the new year. <laughs> Champagne. Yeah. And two bottles. <laughs> oh, what an idea. Oh, Jack, this is wonderful. We'll stick them outside for a couple of minutes and cool them off. Well, here, here, let me have them. I'll do <laughs> Okay. something, the best thing for you and me to do tonight is to get roaring, stinking drunk. (laughs) Champagne with brandy chasing. Right. (laughs) Happy New Year, Larry. Same to you, Jack. And we got drunk. We got red-eyed drunk. And we talked about women and ourselves and our dreams. And it was sloppy and it was great. The kind of a haze you get when it doesn't matter and you're feeling good about everything. And it was fine. Until Cabell decided it was time to hear some music. Uh, I I Jack! Jack, I want you to really listen to this. Now, I mean, really listen. This Shostakovich, he makes them all look sick with this thing. Now, I want you to really listen. I know. I don't want to hear that thing. Don't. No, I don't. I don't want to hear it. Just listen. But I don't like it, Larry. Well, now, listen. 
Yeah. I, I'm going to uh, explain it. Listen, listen to what he does with the rhythm. That's great music, friend. That's really great. That's not music. It's a lot of noise. It's a noise. Shut up, will you? You're not listening. Don't tell me to shut up. You know, you just don't understand good music. What's the matter with you? I understand that I don't want to listen to it. Well, I want to hear it. Jack, don't take that off. Take your hands off of me or you're going to get hurt. Now, listen, Jack. You stay away from that machine. Get on the my way. It all get pushy, brother. I'm going to keep your brains out for that. I'm sick of you and your filthy music and everything. Oh, don't touch that record. Now, take a good listen. Because you're not going to hear it anymore, this thing. Not as long as I'm here. Put it down, Jack. I mean, I mean to put it down. Put it down or I'll shoot you. I'll do it if you don't put that record down. And I got sober. I might never have had a drink. I was so sober. Cabell had reached up for one of the holsters that hung near the door. And he wobbled to his feet. A gun held tightly in his hand. There was blood running out of his mouth and down his chin. And I just stood there. And I put the record down on the turntable. You were going to break it, weren't you? Weren't you? Yeah. I knew you were. I knew because it gives me pleasure to listen to it, and you don't like that. Well, listen, I, I want to listen to it, and you, you don't, so... So you get outside. Oh, Larry, you're... Go on! I'll kill you if you don't. Now, get outside. Larry, you're crazy. It's 40 below out there. I'll freeze That'll do you real good. Now, you go on, Jack. You get outside. All right, but let me get my things. No! Larry, listen to me. You're drunk. You don't know what you're doing. Open that door. Open it! I thought I heard the music again. He was crazy. Crazy drunk. I went around to the back trying to get away from the wind, but it wasn't any good. There wasn't anywhere to get away from it. I've seen what happened to men caught in the open this way, and I knew how quickly it could happen. So I ran and I jumped. Anything to keep moving. And all the time, I couldn't believe it was happening. I don't know how much time went by. Maybe it was a minute. Maybe it was ten. Jack! Jack, where are you? Jack! I heard him calling. Through the flurries of powdered snow blown off the roof, I saw Cabell standing in the doorway. And I saw the gun still in his hand, hanging by his side. Come on in, Jack! And I forgot the cold. Jack! 
I only knew that Cabell had gone mad and he was going to kill me. <laughs> Somehow I had to get him away from the cabin, get him outside where I'd have a chance. I, I waited for a minute and then... Larry! Larry, over here, Larry! Over here! I knew that he'd heard me. And I saw him move out from the doorway. And I moved back behind a hummock. I thought I might be able to make a wide circle and double back to the cabin before he knew what was happening. Jack, I, I, I can't hear you, Larry. Jack, where are you? Larry! Larry! And the wind burned my eyes so that I couldn't see, and I, and I tripped, and I fell. My hands, bare, didn't feel the coldness of snow any longer. He must have seen me. He was close enough. Close enough to shoot. And I tried to run, stumbling, falling. And then it was easier, and I was going downhill. But he was behind me. Jack! Jack, come back, Jack! Jack, it's all right! Come back! And then there was something different in the feel of the ground under me. It wasn't ground anymore. Not snow. It, it was ice. Jack! I, I'd reached the shore, and I was going out on the frozen sea. And I, I began to imagine that I, I I could feel the movement of the sea under me. And, and suddenly it didn't matter anymore. I didn't care. I couldn't run. I, I just wanted to lie down. I just wanted to lie down. Jack, take it easy. It's all right. It's going to be all right. You don't have to be afraid. Jack, you're going to have the gun in your hand. Capel was no more than eight feet away from me. But I, but I just lay there watching, waiting for him to shoot. And the dark ribbon that split the ice grew wider. Wider. A semicircle of ice had cracked away. It wasn't very big, and it was drifting out away. Away. And the ribbon was no longer a ribbon. And in that moment, I knew that he hadn't wanted to kill me. That I'd been wrong. Larry! Larry, jump in! Swim! Now, come on, swim! You can make it! I can't! I come can't, on, Larry, I swim! I can't swim! I can't swim, Jack! Well, try to! I you can't. gotta try! Please hurry, Larry! They moved away faster after that. Then I couldn't see him anymore. He was lost in the blackness. But I could hear him. Oh, Lord, I could hear him. back to the cabin. And I remember getting the transmitter switched on, sending a message through. <laughs> then I got a flashlight and my furs on. I don't know how long I was down there on the ice, shouting, looking. But I knew he was gone. 
I never see him again. And in the gray morning, the planes came. And for two days they searched and, until the weather forced them back. And that was all. They flew me back to the hospital. Maybe I'll lose my hands, maybe not. I'm not sure yet. Well, it doesn't matter anyway. That was A Study in Wax from Escape here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And we are celebrating December this month with Christmas stories. Uh, Joshua, this is your pick. Yeah. In a few weeks or a week, I don't know. I don't know what the order is, but uh, I have my Christmas episode coming up. And man, it was work to try to find the one I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And what I was looking for, style-wise and everything-wise, was this. (laughs) <laughs> I wanted something with some Christmas in it, but had some teeth and had the horror and the, the mystery and the suspense that we love on this podcast. And I just wanted something really great. And, you know, so many of them that you start to listen to and listen, and you're like, ah, and then it falls apart because they're trying to be Christmassy. Mm-hmm. This is for our podcast from that angle. The most perfect Christmas episode (laughs) for Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. This is tough to listen to, man. This is this has got everything going on. We listen to a lot of horror and suspense on this show, and it's not often that you have one where the characters that the horrible things happen to are real. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to listen to this all the time, but what I think is amazing about this is it is relatable. This is almost like a cautionary tale mm-hmm. about opening your Christmas presents early. No. <laughs> about the dangers of crossing just a tiny line. You can see yourself with the right combination of frustration, alcohol, <laughs> pent-up mm-hmm. feelings doing something stupid and disastrous. Well, I think we've all been there. Pent-up feelings and alcohol just don't mix. Yeah. They never have. I think this should be uh, mandatory listening before you walk into the biosphere. <laughs> here's, some, here's some solid advice. First of all, uh, make sure those records are packed in bubble wrap. <laughs> That's a moment that was really hard on me. When they opened it up and there was a record player, I was ecstatic as they were. I was so, yes, that's going to help so much. And then we said, oh, no. I said, oh, God, they're broken. And he said, oh, they're broken. It was like I was there. You know, mm-hmm. it was, It's just testimony to how well this is written and how involved I was. And then screw you for whoever made an album of Bugle Call. <laughs> You're just a jackass to even make that album let alone that's the one that survived but oh my god that's just mean but it results in i think it's hard to say what my favorite scene in this is because i like so many of them so much but when they are listening to the bugle record and laughing at it and making jokes like guys sitting around drinking laughing at a bugle record it is just perfect yes exactly right it doesn't go on too long Mm -hmm. it makes you imagine an entire night of this Mm -hmm. even though it's 15 seconds long right it's just brilliant 
I love classical music. And so I was like, oh, well, at least he's got classical music. And I wasn't familiar with the, the piece. The Age of Gold. That long hair music. Uh, I wasn't <laughs> familiar with the piece or that composer very much at all. And so when they started to play it, two things happened. I went, oh, I don't really know this piece. And two, wow, I'm with that guy. This is terrible. <laughs> like of all the, it wasn't like, oh, I have Claire de Lune. You know, I have uh, Swan Lake. I have, you know, there's so many beautiful things that could have survived. And it was that chaotic you might as well have been the saber dance, you know, like, <laughs> for like six months. The other brilliant scene, though, is when they finally get into an actual fist fight. And yeah. The fighting matches the yes. music on the record. <laughs> yes. And that is a brilliant yes. piece of direction and writing right there. I think that the writer of this hated that piece, too. It's from a ballet about a Soviet football team. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Someone got on the internet. <laughs> I did. I did not know that off the top of my head. Tim, what did you think of that? I felt like there was a real test of, like, did this work when you get to the point of the door's open, come inside, but I see he has a gun, and I, for whatever, drink, months of isolation, all the character things they established, he won't do it. He won't, um, he won't believe him. Yeah, that was, for me, that crossroads of, like, do I buy this as credible? that he would rather stay out here and freeze, even in his mindset, than go in. And I did. Mm -hmm. But I felt that, like, this was a point they had to earn, and they did. Mm, I agree. I think you're right. And I think how they earn it is the fact that he's not refusing to come in. He thinks he's going to be killed, and he's going to draw Larry out so he can get in safely. And then you add the alcohol to that. And all the work they put in of... I'm a guy who likes isolation. I can do this. I am set up to be the person who can survive here. I will confess, though, at the end, when he's describing the ribbon on the water, I was confused. I initially thought that Jack was floating away. Uh, and I thought, like, is he just going to die? Is this going to be the one escape where he doesn't escape, he just dies? And then mm-hmm. somehow I made it back. Like, what happened? Right. I think that was intentional. I think for that moment, you're not supposed to know who is floating away. But then when Jack says, jump in the water, he's urging Yeah, I took that in the moment, which I see it now, of like, Mm -hmm. come save me. Yeah. One of the things I like about the ending in the snow on the sound of the wind, it's a simple, basic, old-time radio sound effect, but it's very effective here. Um, You are as disoriented as Jack and Larry are. Yeah, and I think yes. that's part of what happens when that ice breaks is he's not sure what he's seeing and you're not sure what he's seeing until you have that horrific realization when the planes come in and uh-huh. he's at the hospital and he might lose his hands. Which is another horrific out of the blue line. Yeah, I might get to keep my hands. Who knows? Who cares? Whatever. Uh, the, my two most favorite uh, sound effects. Uh, we've talked about it before, but a blizzard wind. I love it so much because it creates such an image and such a feeling. And you're so right. It is so vivid in this. And I just love Blizzard Wind and distant train whistles. I love distant train whistles a lot because they're foreboding and haunting. And um, and it's why I listen to a lot of Sergeant Preston of the Yukon because mm-hmm. I just love the wind. And it's an insipid <laughs> series for kids. But God, yeah. it's like he's always outside fighting that element. And it's great. They use it really effectively here. Uh, one moment jumps out in particular when Jack is trying to make up to larry by saying hey i've got two bottles of champagne and there's that moment where larry goes oh i'll put him outside to chill and he opens the door and we he just hear how <laughs> awful it is outside and that serves that double purpose of a it foreshadows the end 
That yep. is terrible out. But yep. B, it makes their plan to just sit inside and drink so appealing. Right? Yes. When you hear how awful it is outside. Yes. There is a weird moment, and it's the first sentence, where I had to shake my head loose from not that kind of Radio Shack. <laughs> Because <laughs> all I could think of was all those remote control toys that have got it's burned just up. a cabin out there and a small little kiosk that sells batteries. <laughs> the, the theme that was so prevalent here that I thought they established so well and I loved was the power of little things when they were unwrapping the gifts and just handwritten notes in this environment are so powerful to them. That it sets up the impact of when he's going to break that record. Like, that's world-shattering if you break that record. And what's interesting, there are a lot of places where Jack compares Larry to a kid. And it's kind of what they've been reduced to in this element. Not only in what brings him joy, like you said, the little handwritten notes, but how they react in anger. Like, I'm going to break your record. And um, there's... The great kind of sly metatextual gag in the beginning when they're um, sending a message uh, back to their boss asking for another radio receiver. <laughs> Larry suggests that they title their request Emergency, and Jack just laughs and says uh, the line about, We miss Canadian and U.S. mystery shows. Must continue to hear them to keep at work. You know? <laughs> so it's this sort of acknowledgement that none of this would happen if they had a good episode of Escape to listen <laughs> to. <laughs> so an interesting thing is I think it's hard to catch what it is they're doing and how long they're out there where are they and what are they doing it's very northern canada and yeah i got great northwest a mm-hmm. geodetic survey determines the precise position of permanent points on the earth's surface taking into account the shape size and curvature of the earth this might be for maps it might be for mm-hmm. building it might be for roads um People do it when they need more accurate results than could be in 1940-whatever acquired by planes flying over. So if it's like a wooded area and you can't see very well. Today, they would do it with satellites. Sure. I think it's really interesting how quickly they mention what they're doing out there and don't really fill us in, and it doesn't really matter. I didn't even catch the words geodetic survey. It registered every time they said, like, sort of hand-waved, we to go out and do a thing. Right. And that's all I said. It was, well, they're doing something, and yeah. they have to be at there a long time, so who cares? Mm-hmm. They could give us that premise in full detail, and would it have made a difference to my mm-hmm. enjoyment of that story? Who, it's two guys that have to be out in the place. At the overlook. <laughs> <laughs> right. Doing a thing. Doesn't matter. They're isolated. That's the point. I'm sure that was the idea. But I think it's interesting. Looked up what's a situation where this could possibly happen. But I think that's interesting as a writer to realize it's not important to spend too much time on this. Mm -hmm. Yes, I got curious as to what they were doing, but then again, who cares? And it didn't bother me until you just explained that to me. And as you were saying it, I kind of went, "Oh, I'm falling asleep. I don't care." Josh was still talking about surveys. He did so much research, I should pay attention. Hours, clearly. <laughs> it's just a really uh, terrifying, brilliant uh, piece. And there the, might be nothing scarier for me. I'm going to forget the names of the show, but there's The Horn. Nightfall did The uh, Porchlight. Yeah. The, there's something about... Poltergeist, Poltergeist. Out in the snow. Arctic it, Rescue we did. Something about being trapped in the winter and blizzards trapping you that is frightening and i think what's really frightening about it is how snow makes everything so quiet 
yes, we hear the wind whipping and all that, but there's something that really isolates you even more when it becomes that deafeningly quiet. There's something so primal about winter where your environment transforms into something dangerous mm-hmm. every year. Right. Yep. This is the time of the year where the year tries to kill you. <laughs> I spent a, a bunch of time up in Alaska and have a friend up there still, but my first week up there, he was telling me all these horror stories about, you know, there's a lot of nature that can go wrong in Alaska. <laughs> yeah. And he was telling me all of these stories. And after a while, I looked at him and said, man, why would anybody live here? And he said, yeah, the state motto should be Alaska, feeling lucky, punk. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what environment it was. Somebody's talking about, uh, you know, in Siberia, bitter, bitter cold. You have a bottle of vodka. You have to keep rotating it outside so it doesn't explode. Wow. That's cold. Yes. Yeah, they say 40 degrees below zero in this episode. I was in uh, International Falls, Minnesota, doing a show last year, the year before. And for those who don't know, it gets really cold up there. And I think they hold some kind of record or something. But uh, it's right on the Canadian border. And we were in the bar after a show one night and they said hey it's 40 below without wind chill like it's an actual 40 below so i was like oh i've got to feel this i need to know what this is so i got up (laughs) i put my jacket on my wife's like what are you doing i said i never going to have an opportunity again and i got four minutes four minutes totally bundled up Mm -hmm. and it is unbelievable it's your eyes freeze. Everything is so, <laughs> but it's also really invigorating and really, it's like a sauna except reverse. You know? <laughs> like, feel the heat, enjoy the heat, just take the heat, take that cold and feel it. And it was really cool. But we did learn a valuable lesson about 40 below. <laughs> Don't touch anything in your car oh, no you just stick to it we lost radio knobs the emergency brake oh. like it was all just snapping in half oh, it just wow. it becomes brittle like candy canes at one point we had broke like four things in six <laughs> seconds and i looked at my wife and said stop touching things <laughs> stop touching everything in the car <laughs> next day we we're like oh my god look at all the broken plastic so I'm glad to know what 40 Below is. It helps with this story. You know what I mean? Like, I know what that feels like now. And why he's going to lose his hands. I mean, you if someone would have locked that bar door and left me oh. up there for six minutes, I would have lost something. Yeah. Uh, I do want to stop here and just say, William Conrad is so amazing. God, right? Oh. Didn't know it was him. Wow. I did later because I missed when they said his name or whatever. I don't know. I just, uh, His voice is so It, it is. It is very distinct. But I didn't hear him because I was so involved with the story and it was later I was like oh that was William Conrad he sells everything I, I really like his choice as a narrator to still fill his narration with the emotion he felt at the, the time moment, yeah oh when he describes the drunk they got yeah that voice and that description we got drunk <laughs> yeah and no one says we got drunk like william codrat <laughs> that's and then we decided drunk, to listen yeah, to music. rear back and get this drunk <laughs> mm-hmm. and and when he's breaking down and sobbing at the end in the cold like he's narrating it as if he's dying in the moment mm-hmm. um it's really good and i think the other guy um stacy harris is a great contrast to mm-hmm. that yeah He's not over the top. He's clearly a, a more delicate personality. He's clearly a little more vulnerable to the situation, but he doesn't take it over the top. And when he floats away out there, you feel the same thing mm-hmm. that Jack felt. This is not a pitiful person. This is not someone who deserved this. It was oh, someone God, who yeah. thought he could handle something he couldn't and paid with his life for no real reason. 
Any other thoughts that you're Last dying to say? Last thing I say? really have to mention, and it's probably my favorite part of this, is how they handled the fight scene at the end. Mm-hmm. So we get their classic old-time radio fisticuffs sound effects going on. Mm-hmm. But then we hear the record scratch. There's no music, and everything stops for just this beat. And you can tell he took the record off the table, but you don't know what's happened until Larry says, put it down, Jack, put it down, or I'll shoot. <laughs> yep. so suddenly this picture is painted the narration goes back for it and explains, well, it's that gun. And they do mention mm-hmm. earlier that uh, at one point Jack is oiling his gun. So we already know there is a gun in the cabin, mm-hmm. but it's just perfect. Well, let's vote. Uh, I'd say classic. Escape is just so good so often. And this is a good one of a good bunch. We've said it before uh, many times uh, for information purposes. The Escape struggled to find a time slot and a sponsor. And it is mind boggling. Yeah. mind-boggling because they're so well done. I don't know if it was just the, the genre is not specifically enough mystery or horror mm-hmm. that the sort of adventure genre didn't catch on as strongly, but it is so good. Yeah, it's definitely a classic. One of my very favorite old-time radio shows, as bleak as it is, is just so well done. <laughs> it's, it's so dark. But like is, I said, there's something about reminding yourself when you're listening to these stories that there's a human element in here, too. And to have one be a little more relatable and naturalistic uh-huh. is a, a nice change of pace. And I mean, honestly, Escape is probably my desert island old-time radio show. Like if someone put a gun to my right. head right now and said, you're going to have one old-time radio show for the rest of your life to listen to. Lum and Abner. <laughs> okay, if you're going to have two. <laughs> it would probably be Escape for me. I yeah. It. it is an absolute classic. It is absolutely beautifully well done. Uh, it is, as Joshua said, it is relatable situations and characters. It is describing almost word for word to a T, my family's Christmases. <laughs> <laughs> How they all end up eventually. All the bugle albums. <laughs> all the bugle albums. First the bugle albums, then the guns. Yep. And we got drunk. <laughs> Red-eyed drunk. All right. All right, Tim, tell them some stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. You'll find other episodes of this podcast there. You can get a hold of us via a contact page or leaving comments or find us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And you can find information about our live shows. There's a lot of stuff on ghoulishdelights.com. <laughs> and when you're done with doing all that stuff, you can go to patreon.com slash themorals and support this podcast by becoming a Patreon member. We've got all sorts of great rewards, um, bonus podcasts, T-shirts, guest appearances on the podcast, you name it. Well, don't name it because it's probably not there. But uh, we've got a lot of stuff. You can also go to iTunes and write a review because we also like reviews. Also, speaking of live shows, coming up this New Year's Eve, this is 2018 in case it's the future. Um, (laughs) We are going to be performing at, if you're in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, at The Caves, uh, which is an event center in St. Paul. For those of you outside of the Twin Cities like The Caves, uh, it's not an... (laughs) Actual cave kind of is, doesn't worry. But we're going to be it's performing. It's the Hermit's Cave yes. we're performing in. I wish. Uh, we we're going to be there Birds performing with, <laughs> with a bunch of other people. It's called the Bash Cancer Bash. Uh, everybody who's performing in this is going to be performing free to raise money for cancer. It's going to be a wonderfully fun night, amazing entertainment. We're going to perform for half an hour doing an episode of The Shadow from 1939, originally broadcast uh, on New Year's Eve called The Man Who Murdered Time. Exactly. Yeah, we're going to be doing that, so uh, we should probably get to rehearsal on that. <laughs> uh, what's coming up next, Joshua? Uh, it's me. 
not Joshua. Uh, up next is an episode from Columbia Workshop that will sound familiar to you. It is the Signal Man. Until then. And we got drunk. We got red-eyed drunk. Ah, the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me one shot of gin, two cans of beer, four bottles of wine, two can- uh, things of rum, rum, and a par, uh, and some whiskey, and a partridge in a pear.